You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wyatt, Terry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Robin Mock, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Thank you for joining us for this uh, countdown week of shows leading up to episode 1000. We're just a couple of shows away. And uh, one of my very good friends, Steve Bollier, uh, and I have been talking for a while about doing a show, and I knew I wanted to get him on uh, right here close to 1000, and he has graciously accepted and uh, joined us today for episode 997. Welcome back to the show, Steve. This is me graciously accepting your invitation <laughs> to be a part of this show. So as I can graciously do it, I shall graciously provide as much information about my gracious career as possible. That was the smarmiest uh, acceptance I think I've ever heard. I'd like to thank my mom... <laughs> Uh, for voting me in as presidents of these United States of America. Just had to go there, didn't you? I did, right? Let's go right off the bat. Like, it was November 9th, and we're on the cusp of history here. Um, I feel like if those two could do it, I could do it, right? We're on the cusp of history. We just don't know which alternate reality we're going to ultimately be dealt, but here we will are. Orwell? Will it be Georgie Orwell or will it be something more along the lines of Game of Thrones and George R. R. Martin where everyone <laughs> just dies unexpectedly? It's, it's a good year for the Georges, apparently. It really is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. That's if, if anybody's going to come out smiling like a rose on this, it's going to be people named George. <laughs> but really, yeah, thank you for having me, man. I'm always excited to be on the show and uh, I love listening and I love talking. So absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, you've been on the show before, obviously, numerous times, and you are one of the uh, hardest working men in publishing uh, on both sides of of the the spectrum there with uh, you publishing your own books and stories and publishing other people's uh, books with your uh, your team up with with Rhett Bruno with Athon Books, putting out some of the very best science fiction and fantasy being published today. Uh, first off, how how are things going with Athon? What's what's happening these days? I mean, if I can just speak, 2020 has been, you know, one of the best years of my life. And I know that that's a hard thing for a lot of people to hear. So I definitely don't mean to, um, you know, belittle what this world has been going through in 2020. But, you know, when you consider that everybody's been stuck in their homes since March or or, or whatever varying degree of lockdown your particular state or city is in, like people are still reading books, right? And with the model that that Athon Books has, where we're not trying to sell you fourteen ninety nine Kindles, uh, people can people can afford to purchase a, a dollar, four dollar, six dollar book, whatever it might be. And so it's we've we've kept going strong, probably stronger than um, we anticipated. And so Athon's been fantastic this year. Well, um, th- that's one thing that I definitely wanted to ask you was, uh, as a publisher, um, what has, what has publishing looked like this year? Um, uh, because uh, I know several people in traditional publishing and I know that, that they had, uh, it, it was a little weird for them for a while with most bookstores being closed and, you know, Amazon became the 900 pound gorilla. Uh, I guess they always have been, but it seemed like in 2020, that became more so because you, you could always order from Amazon, whether you could go to your local bookstore or not. W- what does it look like for um, an indie-focused publisher? Uh, I, I'm not sure exactly what you guys classify yourselves as, whether it be small press or um, you know indie publisher or, or what. Maybe you can clear that up for me. Um, but what does it look like for you? And was this something that you guys had to think about and, and, you know, make sure that you are positioned in a good place for this, or 
has your model just naturally kind of won out because it was a great model to begin with? Um, to answer the question of how we, how we, we label ourselves, I have no idea, honestly. I mean, we, <laughs> we sell books and um, we take care of authors and readers. I mean, that's the goal. That's always been the goal. Um, we are not traditional in the sense that we don't uh, focus on, on bookstores and print copies and print runs and things of that nature. Um, we're not strictly independent since we have partnerships with um, various traditional, and I, I love our traditional um, publishing brothers and sisters, so to speak. I'm not one of those guys that's uh, indie all the way. Go, you know, go indie, and uh, I hate trad. I think that there's a really great position for all of us to work together. Um, of course, there is, and and we've said that from day one on this show that that we are platform agnostic, if you will, um, because there's good stuff going on all over the place the the indie revolution has just given authors more power but sometimes the traditional route is absolutely the best way to go but what you guys are doing what a lot of people are doing this this hybrid method i think is where where the winning is well i had the benefit of coming from the music industry uh during the time when music was transferring from physical copies of of cd's to iTunes and digital publishing, um, you know, whether that be Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, whatever. And I got to watch firsthand as the uh, record labels really just sort of refused to acknowledge that digital was the direction that the world was going. Right. And, you know, one of the big reasons why I didn't sign contracts with one of those guys was because the contracts did not accept digital sales as sales toward our advances. So um, it was 2008 and almost all of sales were, were iTunes sales. So we would have been stuck in, um, in limbo trying to pay off an advance from physical CDs for decades. Uh, and so I got to learn from that experience a decade later going into book publishing and, and trying to understand the way that things are shifting. And you know, 2020 was tough because you got paper, little physical paper coming from China, which was the epicenter, of course, of the coronavirus. And um, I don't know, am I allowed to say that? I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, the, you know, I'm not calling it the China virus, but at the same time, like that was the epicenter of this whole thing. And so sure like, it was. Trad Pub had trouble getting paper and bookstores were shutting down left and right. And um, we were not reliant upon anything physical to continue selling books. Um, and so I think that our model lend itself, lent itself to success in, in that regard as well, because we also weren't expecting, you know, there's a little known secret, I think, um, maybe it's a widely known secret. I don't know, but I mean, the reason trad pub Kindle prices are 1499 is to force sales to their hardcovers and their, yeah, Right. It's not it's not people trying to sell Kindle copies. It's people trying to still sell print. And so when you're not worried about selling print, you can afford to sell a a Kindle book for far less expensive. And readers can afford to actually do that. It's like, you know, colleges right now charging full price for tuition when nobody's going to campus like that makes no sense. You're not getting anything physical when you buy a Kindle version of something. So it doesn't need to be the same price as a physical book. So um, we've continued selling books, I guess, is the best way to word it. Do, do you feel like uh, because that was a great um, uh, kind of topic that you went into there, the, the price of ebooks, And uh, do you feel like that that the accessibility and the price access accessibility say that five times real fast? Um, have made people read more. Um, the reason I asked that, I've always been a reader. I've always had something um, that I was reading around the house or whatever. But I, my book buying, um, I, I remember waiting for, uh, you know, the not the trade paperback. What's what's the small paperbacks? Um, mass market paperback. Yeah, mass market. Thank yeah. you. I couldn't think of mass market for whatever. I, I remember waiting for books to come out in mass market paperback where I could pick one up for six, seven, eight dollars, depending on you know who it was and, and how thick it was. Um, 
and kind of planning my my book buying for the year around things like that. And now that uh, with the advent of the Kindle and very uh, cheap and accessible books and the advent of things like Kindle Unlimited, um, I'm, I never lack for anything to read. Uh, and, and, you know, I, and I, I do a lot of reading for the show. Uh, we get books in from publishers and things like that. But I still try to keep my personal private reading um, you know, segmented from that. And, and I, everything's acceptable, accessible and right at my fingertips. And I know that my reading habits have changed because of that. Do you feel like that industry-wide um, reading is up because of things like that? I think 100%. Um, I've got bookshelves filled with R.A. Salvatore books that have six ninety nine printed on the back of them, right? They're mass markets. Um, growing up, so to speak, as a reader, um, my teen years or, or whatever, going to Walden Books, um, which still existed then, right? I knew, just like you said, I knew I could go in and grab a fantasy novel for six ninety nine. It's seven bucks, right? That's the cost of a of a, a lunch at a fast food restaurant. We're not talking about putting you in the gutter because you you decided to go buy a book. And that book, for me, during those times, lasted. I could read a book for a week or two weeks, right? Like nowadays, we're talking about people who read a book a day. Yeah, um, and I think that that's something very that we consider as a publisher very heavily, right? We are publishing books for readers who read one book a day. That's a, that's a huge majority of the science fiction <laughs> yeah. readership. Now you try to get them to buy a $14.99 book a day. Oh yeah. M many of them are retired. Many of them are veterans. Many of them are, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it might be. 2020, many of them are out of work. Um, and we're trying to, you know, figure out how to supply them with, uh, you know, it's the Netflix mentality of binging stuff. and. Um, and so you asked if the advent of these things um, has created a more, more of a hunger for readers. And I think absolutely. Kindle Unlimited, as much as it, quote, hurt the publishing industry 10 years ago, has done nothing but provide authors who, for lack of a better way of saying this, would not be accepted into traditional publishing um, it's given them an opportunity to publish their stories, which are very good stories. I could I could think of a hundred authors right now who have written very very good books, very successful series, who would never have been accepted by traditional publishing, if for no other reason but there's a limited number of slots for traditional publishers to release books every year. Well, we both have friends and and acquaintances that that we've made over the last few years who are absolutely killing it in publishing right now. And they all have, or most of them that I know of, have stories of, you know, that they've been writing for years, couldn't break in, no one would give them a shot. Uh, and, and if one of these publishers would have given them a shot and they would have been as, as productive for them as they are now, um, it, it would have been nothing but a win for the publisher. So it, 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 it's, kind of weird, you know, that, uh, that things have happened the way they have, but, uh, that that's absolutely a story that, that we could replicate over and over and over with people we know. Big pub has built a, a model on something that I think doesn't, um, benefit publishing anymore, especially in 2020, which is physical appearances and signings and again, everything revolving around the bookstore and the physical copy of the book when you have <clears throat> hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands, uh, you know, what, whatever the number is, I don't know what I just said. I said hundreds of thousands and then tens of thousands, but thousands and thousands <laughs> and thousands of readers who don't care about physical books, uh, especially in science fiction. We're talking, we're reading about characters who live 5,000 years in the future. Readers who read about stuff like that are cool with holding a piece of electronics in their hand that carry... <laughs> <laughs> thousand books with them right like oh yeah now fantasy is a little bit different we're reading about people five thousand years ago with giant tomes right the the fantasy reader is still a physical book reader which is why i think indie publishing 
has so much trouble in that genre. But um, all of that just kind of put back together to say that I think the trad pub model has its place. It's a little broken. Indie publishing has its place. It's a little broken. Um, the hybrid model that we're trying to to not, not create, I don't want to say create, but but lean into has tried to take the benefits of trad, the benefits of indie and put it together to create something that's highly beneficial for the author, highly beneficial for the reader, and thank God, highly beneficial for the publisher. I'm glad you brought up fantasy because that was something I definitely wanted to to ask you about. Uh, you and Rhett Bruno published one of the best fantasy series that I've seen in quite a while, The Buried Goddess Saga. Um, and you guys wrapped that up this year. Uh, was that this year? Uh, 2020 has been 18 years long. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm losing some things. Yeah. Book six word of truth yeah. came out. I have no idea when that came out. I, I'm in the same boat as you. When, yeah. what, what day is it? <laughs> right. But the, uh, that ended the, the buried goddess saga. That was a, a fully told story, right? Right. So, um, what has been your experience with fantasy? I know you, you alluded to the difference in the reading habits with fantasy. Um, first off, why do you think the difference in science fiction and fantasy in the way readers approach it? Because those two genres really are close cousins in a lot of ways. Uh, why do you think the readership is a little different there? So quickly, April 21st, 2020 was when the sixth book came out. Um, I, w I was thinking spring, but I couldn't. Yeah. I mean, you, your guess would have been literally better than mine because I couldn't. <laughs> oh, no, I, I was wrong still. That was when the audio book came out. The ebook came out February 25th. OK. Okay. 20 OK, so that's another issue, right, is the audio came out different times. So there's a little bit of confusion there. In Mississippi, we call um, uh, February spring. That's so. fair. I mean, I'm yeah, that's fair. Texas, so that sounds about right. I was judging on whether I was wearing shorts or not. And I was. So. <laughs> Is it sandals or sneakers? I don't know. Um, so that's literally the uh, 11 and a half months out of the year. What what the dress code is here. Anyway, that's there. We we did. We released six complete books. Um, as a matter of fact, just about a week ago, we released all six books as one downloadable Kindle file for three bucks on Amazon, right? So there's another idea of what makes the difference between trad pub and indie pub. Yes, we're giving you six books for $3. There's a million words in that Kindle. Please, oh. please package that in a hardcover one volume. I, I couldn't even fit the first three <laughs> into it. So I have my hardcovers right behind me. I've got the first three books as a hardcover. The second three books as a hardcover. The second three books, four through six, I had to make the font almost illegible just to fit it within the twelve hundred pages or whatever that I had to work with. Oh and for gosh. me, it was it was it was just a um, a collector kind of thing, or you know something to have on my shelf. So I didn't care if anyone could ever read it. Well, yeah, you got to do it, right? Uh, but there's no way I could fit all six books in one. I wish that I could, but that would be. I mean, I don't even know. It would be massive. It would be so big you wouldn't be able to hold it. So um, all that to say that, yeah, $3, you can get all six books. And what, what happens in um, a reader's mind is they go, well, it must not be very good if they're able to do that. But when you consider tr the trad pub market, as an author, I'm making the same amount of money selling those as I might make selling it through a traditional publisher with, you know, like with that, without that middleman in the middle or however you want to say that um, I'm still making money on this and I'm offering something that people can actually jump into. And, and in reality, it's for the Kindle unlimited readers more than it is for the buyers. Sure. Right. I'm giving an opportunity for the Kindle unlimited reader to just get one file and read the whole series all the way through. What differs from Science fiction and fantasy differ in a lot of ways. Uh, you mentioned that they're close cousins. Um, I do believe that's true. I also believe that one of the main reasons that is even a thing is because booksellers back in the 80s and 90s didn't have enough fantasy or enough sci-fi to make their own shelves, so they just shoved them together. Um, You're probably right about that. Right? So um, because I was, I was a fantasy, an avid fantasy reader growing up, 
I couldn't stand science fiction. Um, hated everything about it. And it wasn't until Battlestar Galactica, the 2004, 2003 series came out that I fell in love with science fiction. Really? Yeah, that was what did it for me. And I don't know what it was, but I'll be honest, there's still that, that vein of like hard sci-fi that I can't even begin to stomach. Um, but on the same token, there's like that really heavy epic fantasy that's just like like Tolkien. Uh, I love Tolkien, but like I can't read something that's like Tolkien. Um, <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? Like we did I that. Do. We did that um, that podcast together a few years oh. ago, uh, Wheel of Time, and we gave up. And that's the kind of fantasy <laughs> that I just can't handle. Right. It's so pretentious. And is it well written? Sure. Is it a great story? Sure. But oh my God, you could say this in half the words. Right. Um, but people like that. There is a phenomenally large group of readers who love that kind of storytelling. It's just not me. And that's okay. Um, and I know I'm, I don't know, I'm talking a lot because I think you asked some questions that I just am really passionate about. Um, the difference between sci-fi and fantasy is exactly that. It's like you got readers who read a book a day and then you have readers that will wait seven years for the new book in their series to come out and then they'll go buy it and they'll read it six times in a row. That's the epic fantasy readers. Right. I'm reading through Harry Potter right now for the 180th time. I know that's an exaggeration, but like the only book I've read more is the Bible. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know? So, um, anyway, I think that that sums up my response to what's the difference. The Novel Factory Online is software for the serious writer. With features like notes that are automatically organized, that means no more drowning in piles of paper, notes, or spending hours organizing digital folder structures. The Novel Factory offers clear, obvious structures for noting down information about plot, characters, locations, and everything else relating to your novel. Innovative features like the roadmap take you from concept to finished novel. The roadmap is an optional step-by-step -step guide to writing a novel that takes you from the premise to final manuscript and beyond. It draws on tried and true, tested theory that lies behind the majority of best-selling novels and blockbuster movies. Access your writing anywhere. The web version of the Novel Factory can be accessed anywhere you have internet. So you can write your novel on the train to work, while walking the dog, or climbing a mountain. Just log in and all your drafts and notes will be at your fingertips. Go to novel-writer.com to see how this powerful software can unleash your creative side. Use code HANK2020 for 20% off. That's the Novel Factory. Authors, I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website, your home on the web, where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates. PubSite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20 or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting. And we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Pub-site.com, the place to help authors 
find their home on the web. So, um, uh, let's go back for just a second and talk about um, music and and publishing, Uh, because you mentioned that, you know, in 2008, I think it was, you said um, you guys had the opportunity to sign uh, with a major publisher distributor and and opted not to do that. Um, I had Michael Sweet uh, of Striper on the show a couple of weeks ago. Um, and one of the things that I really wanted to ask him is that music seems to, um, music and publishing are following a similar path and music is a few years ahead of publishing in a lot of ways. And a lot of the things that we're, that we're seeing with, uh, that happened in music with streaming and and things like that a few years ago are now filtering over into the publishing world. Um, how do you do you see these two art forms as being parallel in a sense? And what do you think we as writers and publishers can learn from the things we've seen our brothers and sisters over in music publishing go through in, in previous years or or maybe what they're going with now. Right. Right. I'll start by saying that I'm no authority on the matter, right? Like, like Michael sweet had a, a, it's striper. You know what I'm saying? Like he's got, He's got a leg up here for answering questions like that than I do. But um, what we're seeing in publishing right now is that like companies like Audible are going to that subscription-based $14.99 unlimited listening. Here's 11,000 books completely, quote, free included in your membership. And I do believe that that's the direction that and it's all going to go. Um, we saw it with Kindle Unlimited and Amazon is a customer focused entity. They are not a seller focused entity. They want what's best for their customers and what's best for their customers is the most inexpensive way to consume um, a product, right? That's why Kindle Unlimited is like nine ninety nine, and there's like a million books in it or, you know, whatever it is. And then from a publisher point of view, from an author point of view, it sucks. Uh, as an as a as a, uh, a, a, a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? As a music publisher years ago, as a music um, creator is probably the word I'm looking for. Uh, I logged into my band's Spotify backend yesterday. I'm like, that sucks. That's like that just sucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the same time, when you recognize something is making a shift and it's inevitable. And you are unable to change the outcome because you're angry about it, right? I think 2020, um, in so many ways, I'm trying not to get too political, right? But like anger doesn't make change. Um, It just makes other people angry. Right. And so um, when when I'm upset that Amazon and Audible has made decisions um, that are like counterproductive for an author or a publisher, I can make one of two choices. I can lean into what they're doing because I believe that they're the ones that are pushing the industry um, and everyone's going to follow them. Or I can rebel against it and I can try something like what we call going wide in the industry, which is where we allow our books to go to Kobo and and Barnes and Noble and all of these other um, e-reader companies. When we've seen the evidence show that that Amazon exclusive has a far greater financial value for the author and for the publisher than trying to go wide. Um, some people have different experiences with that. We've not. So we're not about to rebel against the company that we see as leading the industry. So we're trying to find all the opportunities that we can to make it fit within our um model so to speak uh trad pub that's where they fight they go no we're going to do this our way and hybrid publishers go okay i don't really like what's going on but let's make it work Uh, yeah so you guys published uh the buried goddess saga this year which we talked about which is kind of the uh i take it as the epic fantasy tale that you always wanted to tell um and you and um, you and Rhett also published Luna Missile Crisis, and I know there's a story behind that book that I want you to tell us about in just a second. Um, 
but I just noticed that you have up for pre-order the second book in the Luna Missile Crisis series or the Contact Day series, I think it's called. Um, was this always meant to be a series? This, this kind of took me by surprise a little bit. I, I wasn't expecting a book to. Uh, that's a kind of difficult question to answer because neither were we. Um, and if I can, I'll try to keep all of my judgments kind of out of this this answer but our our original script manuscript was a single book intended to tell a full story that left no open and open no open endings that a reader would read and be completely happy with and i do believe that 90 percent of our readers are would be completely happy without a book too uh but we made some decisions in publishing the book where um, other entities said, we'd like you to do this, this, or this, and, and leave it open as uh, for a sequel. And we did that. Um, we don't know that it was the best decision in the world, but we, but, but like I said, when you're a hybrid kind of, we we're going to lean into it and there's more story to tell. Um, and we think that book two is going to be a very good story, but it will be a duology. I don't care what anyone else says. It's going to be two books. Um, I don't care how much people want another book. It's going to be two books <laughs> that tell a complete story because our intention was always to be uh, intentional, right, with this storytelling. And so we're going to clean up all the things that were left for a sequel in book two. And I'm, I'm actually very excited outside of the fact that it was the hardest book I've ever written in my life. Um, and that's why we have slated it for like May of next year, because we wanted to make sure that we had absolutely every opportunity to make sure that it lives up to the standard that we set with the first. What, why was it the hardest book that you've ever written? Oh my gosh, it was so hard, man. Um, so we've got so many elements in that that story. We've got alternate history that includes real characters like Richard Nixon, JFK, uh, <laughs> Neil Armstrong. And then we've got the science fiction elements of what happens to our real world when aliens interrupt the 1961 launch of Yuri Gagarin's spacecraft in and. And so now we're taking 1960, which neither of us was alive in, um, and we are writing a story that has to feel true to the 1960s, but also somebody who grew up in the 1960s would go, that's feasible if aliens showed up. Ugh. And it's right. So it's 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 sci-fi, it's alt history, it's real world. It's characters that are, you know, brother and family dynamics. Um, there are so many interweaving storylines and threads going through that whole thing that it just about drove. I mean, Rhett and I rewrote that book three times, which wow. we don't rewrite books. We wrote the entire Buried Goddess Saga. And yes, we did edits and stuff on it, but there was no rewriting. We wrote six, one million words in a six book series without a rewrite. And then we rewrote Luna Missile Crisis three times. So having a, an experience like that will make you uh, respond in one of two ways, generally. Um, one, I'm never doing that ever again. Or two, I love the challenge. I love stretching myself and I want to do this kind of challenge again. Uh, which, where do you find yourself? Um, as, as an indie author, the second of those is a career killer, right? Because it doesn't matter how good your book is in indie publishing. If you're not producing a book every month or a book every two months, you're not going to succeed in publishing, um, as an indie author. Rhett and I have the, uh, the benefit of, of owning Athon books. So like, we don't have to worry about these weird schedules with our writing. We just write what we want to write and we release it when we want to release it and hope it does well. But if it doesn't like you know, change the world, at least we put out a, a fantastic story and then we're going to uh, go other angles. We're going to try to go other angles. Like we've written a television script for it and we have some interest in that area. Um, and so that could be a potential future for it. Um, but who knows? I mean, like every, a lot of people get options for TV stuff, right? Sure. Um, so we're not putting our eggs in that basket, but for us, it, it took us to um, two places. Originally we went, I never want to do that again. 
Um, cause I think I had hair before we started writing that book. <laughs> um, but then on the other side of things, both of us went, this is, this is the best story we've ever told. Um, now I could argue that the six books in the Barry Goddess saga is the, is the best story we ever told, but that's six books long and it took us six books to do it. Right. But Luna Missile Crisis, I think we told a phenomenal story. If I can say that without sounding arrogant, I thought we told a phenomenal story in 145,000 words. Um, and we really wanted that to be it. We wanted that to be the story. Um, and I don't, man, if, if, fans of the series are listening. I don't want you to think like, we don't want to give you more. That's not at all what I mean. It's just that we had a vision for one book. Uh, since then, Rhett and I have developed book two and we, we love the idea. We think it's, it's going to make people very, very happy. Uh, but that wasn't the original goal and intent. So we had to backpedal a little and go, okay, now what do we do with this? Now that, that brings up an interesting, um, uh, discussion point because uh, I, we we both know authors that have long running series um, and some of them are phenomenal all the way through. Some of them you can tell about halfway through the series. Okay, the the author obviously is just done with this and is just phoning stuff in, but it's a it's a pretty good seller, so they're going to keep churning more of the same and there probably is a fan base that wants more of that and are perfectly content with the the level of product that's coming out now you've got luna missile crisis and uh mini world's fair which uh, is slated to be the the follow-up to that um and you say this is two books and this is this is my vision for it and this is where it sits how do you balance the uh you know an author's vision for something and the uh, the opposing view of wanting to stretch things out and give readers more of what they want. Um, Rhett and I just have a different vision in in regards to our own writing. Um, as publishers, if our authors have a series that's doing really well, we're going to say you should write more <laughs> series, right? I mean, come on, we're we're publishers. As authors, I was wondering if that would be your answer. <clears throat> yeah, of course. As authors. Um, and I'll be honest, if the if the author that we said that to came back and said, no, this is the vision I had and it's over, I, we would just go, OK, that sucks. I mean, that's the money on the table, whatever. Uh, but that's your vision. We want to make sure that we honor that. And that's perfectly OK with us. So, like, we're, we're not the kind of publisher that's going to say, you got to do this, you got to do that. But on, on our side of things, um, I don't know. It would take a tremendous number of people petitioning for a book three. For the contact day series for us to even consider it because our intention is to end it a lot of times in indie publishing there's no clear ending to a story the original ending to luna missile crisis was an ending there was no plan to move forward and when we when we rewrote it for the third time under the direction of a developmental editor who had some thoughts we went okay let's leave this a little bit open-ended um and we'll go from there. So uh, all I could really say is that I do believe that I'm going to be happy with the Many Worlds Fair. I believe that our readers are going to be happy with the Many Worlds Fair. It just wasn't the original plan. There's nothing wrong with that, I hope. Sure, sure. One of the other stars of publishing uh, that that has happened over the last few years uh, is the popularization of audiobooks and uh, audiobooks are, are, are something that I have loved for a long time. Uh, as someone who is, um, you know, going to be 49 years old next week, uh, and uh, it was five kids, um, to read as much as I want to read, I always have to have a book going on in my headphones, and and I've, I've done that for years. And I was really surprised that audiobooks have really taken off the way they have the last couple of years. And it seems like 2020 is, you know, it's, you know, they're, they're fire hot and only getting hotter. It's, I think everyone agrees that audiobooks are the, the biggest growth market in publishing right now. Um, how do you guys feel about audio and what do you think the, I don't want to say advent because audiobooks are not new, but the popularization of them is kind of new. It's, this is, this is a new thing people are, for whatever reason, latching on to. 
Um, as a publisher and as an author, how do you feel about audio and what do you think it's bringing to the table? It's another one that I have to answer separately, right? As a publisher yeah. and an author, as an author and a reader, I love them. Uh, I listen to about 150 books a year. Um, when I write, I typically know who I have in mind as the narrator, and I write the story as if they were the ones reading it. So far in my career, I have been blessed to actually get the narrators that I, I wrote with uh, intention for them to read. The Buried Goddess Saga, I, from day one, I wrote it as if Luke Daniels was reading it, and we got Luke Daniels to do it. The, the, the Luna Missile Crisis, the intention was Ray Porter. We got Ray Porter. Um, you know, the superhero short story that we had, it was intended for R.C. Bray and R.C. Bray did it. And so, you know, I could keep going on and on. I don't need to, but like that's been the goal as a writer. As a publisher, what we're seeing is that audio is becoming more and more difficult um, as the industry grows, because the, the current model for audio is, you know, that credit model for audible where you get one credit a month and that offers you one book a month as a, as a listener and so you are having hundreds of releases from publishers and authors a month all vying for one credit per listener um now granted plenty of listeners buy more credits or they purchase outright but you're talking about a 30 dollar book right Right. And so the number of those people who are spending 30 bucks on a book they may or may not like, that's tough. We've seen the issue of Audible really pushing that if you don't like a book, you can return the book. And a lot of people actually just listen to a book, love the book and return it, get another credit, get another book that they love. And they do that as often as they can. So authors and publishers take a huge hit when somebody returns a book, but there's no clear um, consequence for a listener that returns a book. There is no consequence is really what I should say. So it's just, it's more and more difficult by the month to make any money. I mean, narrators expect more and more and more money for the product as things become more popular, but the income is less and less and less. So it's hard to afford to do it as a publisher and as an author. Um, and so at some point, especially with the, the, the introduction of, of Audible Premium Plus, where for $15, which is what a membership to Audible has always been, for $15, 11,000 books, um, where's the incentive for a, a listener to even spend their credits anymore? They have access to all these free ones. Right. So. As publishers, we're going, okay, how do we take advantage of this? How do we get involved? And, and, and I say take advantage. I don't mean that in a negative sense, but how do we allow ourselves to benefit from this while still giving listeners and readers what they want? And so that's where we're at as publishers, trying our best to be involved and excited about the, the process and the projects. And as a listener, I love Audible Premium Plus, so I can't complain from a listener's point of view. Um, and we have Baron Steel, which is a short story that R.C. RC Bray read that's in the Audible Premium Plus. And I mean, it came out October 22nd and has 500 ratings already. I mean, that's fantastic. And they're all very good ratings. And so from a career point of view as an author, having something in Premium Plus that does well is, is awesome. It's fantastic. So are, are you getting any sense of... Um, what this is going to mean long term, uh, you know, I, I remember when Kindle Unlimited first came out um, and there was a there were a, a lot of there was a lot of hype around it where authors were like, yes, we're going to get filthy rich from this. And, you know, they they started uh, Kindle Unlimited started changing some of their algorithms and things and and things kind of settled out. Um, are you getting any sense of the the kind of publishing growing pains of the 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 audible um, uh, kind of all you can eat buffet model um, and, and do you do or, or do you feel like that they've learned a lot of things from Kindle Unlimited because Audible is an is an Amazon company do you think that they've allowed this other arm to inform what's going on there and things will be a little smoother I don't think anyone learns from anything ever uh, <laughs> twenty twenty is a great example of that. Um, 
so I don't I don't really know how to respond to that unless I actually work for Amazon or Audible. But what I can say is that I don't believe that what we're seeing right now is an accurate representation of what things are going to look like in the end. Um, Kindle Unlimited, same thing when it started, you you alluded to it. It was one thing. It's evolved or digressed or whatever words you want to use. It has become what it is now. Uh, a lot of authors did get very rich off of it. We we make our living, so to speak, as authors and publishers off of Kindle Unlimited. Is it the best thing that it could be for us? Probably not. Is it the best thing for readers? Probably. Um, and if as authors and publishers, our desire, I mean, our desire fits Audible, uh, uh, Amazon's desires pretty closely. Our Our goal is to give the readers the best product that we can do it for an affordable price and blah, 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 blah. Um, for Amazon, that's easier to do when you've got billions of people pouring into something, right? That's true. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of stuff. Um, so like all that said, Amazon Premium Plus looks like what it looks like right now. I think that in two years from now, it's going to look drastically different. I think they're going to begin to focus on episodic storytelling instead of novels. Um, I think that it's going to become more of a Spotify uh, with original content instead of focusing so much on getting every single book that ever releases on audio. Um, what that might mean is that authors who are previously published by companies like Audible Studios, maybe such as myself, people, you know, Audible may not be as interested in, in teaming up and producing audio for that because they're going to have people producing their own stuff that is exclusive to Audible Premium Plus. And that's sort of, I, I think that that's sort of, I have, I should say this, I have no inside information as to what I believe here. This is just as a, as a listener and somebody that's kind of watching what's going on as a publisher, I think that that's probably the direction things are going. Well, I know that Athon is a company that um, you, you focus. Um, I don't want to say primarily, um, but uh, heavily on ebook readers and, and providing them with a good reading experience and, and lots of material for the, for your Kindle readers. And uh, I know that you guys are also heavily um, uh, in, into audiobook uh, production and, and that that's a, a, an arm of Athon that, that you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. um, but you, you guys also do these uh, collectible type things. I'll see that you, you have hardcover editions, not just paperbacks, you know, that uh, through Amazon publishing, but hardcovers and actual like collectibles. Um, and w when you're talking about the, the, the Spotify model of, of what audible is, is going to, I've noticed that they have, uh, a number of, uh, biography or memoir type things that they've published recently. Um, a lot of times by, uh, musicians and artists of different, uh, stripes where it, it's maybe a, a three or four hour long production, but it's narrated by the artist. Um, I noticed one yesterday. It's, this is what's sticking out in my mind that uh, by uh, Rufus Wainwright, who's a singer songwriter that I'm not very familiar with. I'm I'm kind of familiar, uh, but I listened to the to the the sample on uh, the site, and it's uh, it's like a three or four hour, and he has a very distinctive voice, and you know it's it's obviously done by the artist, and 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 that's kind of a niche thing. Um, what do you see going forward? Um, these little niche things that that publishers can do to uh, to give the the diehard collectors and things like that um, purchase uh, in into their experience. You know, uh, musicians now, even though everyone's uh, you know, streaming um, and no one's really buying CDs anymore, the thing that's become popular over the last I don't know five or ten years is you know pressing vinyl again and. Uh, you, you, now you can buy a vinyl record, but it costs 40 bucks or right. you know, some craziness like that. And, uh, but there's, there's still ways for people to hold something in their hand and feel like they're, they're part of something. And even, you know, as eBooks and audiobooks you know, go on and on, what are we going to, what kind of opportunities are there going to be for people to plug in and collect things like they, like people want to do? 
Well, if you look at, <clears throat> to try to answer all the questions, if you look at uh, Audible's bestsellers, you've got like Barack Obama, you've got, um, there's there's a, a Marine, God, I can't remember the dude's name, but he's been on the bestseller list for uh, like two years, right? And um, if you look at that, you'd see that most of the bestsellers do tend to be Matthew McConaughey's new book has been number one, and he narrated it so that actor, politician, um, musician model of like the writer of the book, reading the book, and they are somebody who is popular, like that's a thing. Um, so I think those are the number one sellers on, on Audible right now, not the fantasy sci-fi stuff that we do. Uh, although they do fine as well. But what we've tended to do and what we've seen happening is there's a lot of specialty presses that are pressing um, specialty style hardcovers and things like Brandon Sanderson, of course, just did a 1.8 billion gazillion trillion dollar <laughs> Kickstarter, right? I mean, he made so much money. The publisher made so much money off of that by just taking his book that's already been written and putting a leather cover on it. Right. Right. So what we have done, of course, we had uh, an audiobook with Yudanjaya Vijay Ratna. He wrote it. And Nathan Fillion of Firefly fame is the narrator. Um, the novelty, so to speak, of audiobooks is finding somebody like that to do the audio. Um, not to say that people would not have bought Yudanjaya's book. I don't mean to say that at all. But guess what? A tremendous number more purchased his book because Nathan Fillion's name is on it than they would have if it was just Yuda's name. Yeah, so, of course. Right. So finding those kind of partnerships has been instrumental in where we are as a publisher in 2020. Uh, we published Lou Diamond Phillips' um, book. Never heard of him. Yeah, right? Um, Lou Diamond was on the show, I believe, what, like three weeks ago? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And uh, Super Lou good guy. Lou is the star of The Prodigal Son on Fox right now. Lou is in La Bamba and Young Guns and uh, Longmire. Longmire, a million things. He's a tremendous author. Uh, I'm sorry, a tremendous actor who is now a tremendous author. We published his book. You, you asked the question, what do we do for the collectors? Well, he's got a, a sort of a collector's edition hardcover that has like 30 or more illustrations in it that his wife Yvonne did. And so Yvonne did this, um, I mean, really like super cool black and white art that went along with the story and she did such a beautiful job with it. So you can, you can listen to it on audio narrated by RC Bray and Julia Wellen and buy the ebook that has like five illustrations in it. Or you could also add that kind of limited edition hardcover that's got 38 illustrations in it or however many there is. Um, so those are the kinds of things that we're trying to do to make all of the formats make sense for the reader to, to jump on board with. So Steve, I know that you said that 2020 has been a, a pretty good year for you. Um, the, there's been lots of opportunities that have come about and, and you uh, personally and your partnership with Rhett have been uh, in a in a good place to take advantage of those things. And um, uh, are you looking toward 2021 and, uh, you know, the politics in America aside, um, what do you think 2021 holds? Um, uh, for me, it's hard to, you know, I, I am a visionary by nature, but it, but this year has been so unique in that it's hard to look to the future. Um, and that is politics aside i don't mean it that way it's just there's so many so much going on in our world right now that oftentimes my focus is on like what's happening next week um 2021 i do know you know we've struck a partnership with heavy metal magazine we've been in uh really close contact with their ceo matthew medney matt has a, a book coming out tomorrow called Beyond Kuiper, um, the Galactic Star Alliance. He, he's releasing that on hardcover. It's this really freaking cool graphic novel. It's a novel, but it's fully illustrated. Um, it's it's going to be on on audio with, uh, uh, I can't, I, forgive me, I can't remember the main narrator's name, but Dylan Sprouse is also in it. Dylan Sprouse was 
the little kid on Big Daddy, and he played in Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. He's one of the twins, the Sprouse twins. Um, and then Matt came to us and said, "Would you publish the ebook?" And so we went, "Sure, let's publish the ebook." But what else can we do together? So now we're talking all kinds of things with Heavy Metal Magazine, and. For those of you who haven't been under a rock for 40 years, like heavy metal is <laughs> gigantic. Um, and these guys are amazing guys that we've really become friends with. And so 2021 looks like all of this partnership with, with heavy metal magazine, finding ways of doing new things with our IPs, intellectual properties in things like comics and graphic novels and and television and movies and all of these things that of course all of us want to do but we're going to do everything that we can to actually make those things happen so 2019 2018 for us 2018 2019 was the establishment of athon books 2019 2020 we focused on athon audio end of 2021 we are focused on uh every other form of media that we can get our hands on um for the sake of of telling the best stories that we can tell. Well, you guys are telling some of the best stories that are out right now. And uh, I, I look forward to seeing uh, what ways you come up with of, of innovating uh, the distribution and, uh, and, and innovating in storytelling. That's uh, it's exciting about the, uh, the heavy metal partnership and seeing what uh, not only taking advantage of each other's distribution and things like that, but looking at ways to collaborate, to come up with, with new things to do. I'm excited for that. Uh, uh, Steve, if, if people are just learning about you and everything that you do, where can they find you online? We well, can find Athon Books on, at A-E-T-H-O-N Books, A-E-T-H-O-N Books.com. Uh, as an author, I write as Jamie Castle, J-A-I-M-E, Castle, C-A-S-T-L-E dot com. Um, of course, you can find me on Facebook, and uh, I will be on, I'm not moving to Parlor. Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> Parlor. Uh, I'll be on Facebook, so hang out with me. Um, I think that's it. That's the best places you can find me. Excellent. We'll put links in the show notes to make it easy for folks to find you. The Buried Goddess Saga, a complete series, all six books packaged into one easy-to-read uh, Kindle edition. Is uh, there, There's a link to it in the show notes. Go download it now for your Kindle. Also, some of the very best audiobooks uh, from our friend Luke Daniels, uh, also narrated. We'll put links uh, to there where people can find that over at Audible. Uh, Luna Missile Crisis is out now. Lots of stuff going on. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for taking time to come back on the show. Thanks for having me. Do you want to get paid to write stories? Do you enjoy collaborating with other talented storytellers? Do you want to work completely remotely and set your own hours? Relay Publishing is looking for writers and editors to work on fiction projects across a range of genres, from thrillers to sci-fi, fantasy, and romance. The Relay process is extremely collaborative, in the same vein as a TV show's writer's room. If you're a story geek, then you'll be on a great team. There are seven ghostwriting positions and ten editing positions currently available please go to www.recruitment.relaypub.com. That's www.recruitment.relaypub.com for more information on how to apply. Join a great storytelling team today. What Death Taught Terrence by Derek McFadden. Life is a journey. So is the afterlife. At the end of his life, Terrence McDonald must discover its meaning or he'll be banned from the afterlife forever and his soul will cease to exist. Join Terrence and those who love him on a poignant and unforgettable journey through a life at once wonderful and harrowing. Learn what Terrence learned. See what Terrence sees. By this provocative story's end, readers may even learn a thing or two about themselves. See why people are saying things like, Derek McFadden writes with an insight you can match. 
If you like the works of Mitch Album, I think you'll find What Death Taught Terrence a worthy addition to your library and the reading of it, a life-affirming journey. I found the story immediately immersive and it stuck with me long after I finished. What Death Taught Terrence by Derek McFadden on sale now. Invasion Day, the first book in the They Came for Blood series by Scott Moon. David Osage is a dangerous man with a complicated past, but these days he's just trying to keep his head down, driving big rigs. One night he saddles himself with a hitchhiker, a nuisance who's more than she seemed, and that's when everything changes. No one was ready for an alien invasion. Death is raining from the sky and the only questions left is do you run, fight, or submit? For David Osage and his family, answering is as easy as giving the alien invaders the finger. Grab book one, Invasion Day, in the They Came for Blood series, and then follow it up with book two, Resistance Day, and book three, Victory Day. Available at Amazon.com.